can you ask for more rent? Can you get a higher demand? If there's more inventory, do you have to acquiesce to the seller or the renter demands? Who has the power? And then that's really stems from knowing the numbers. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless, and they've got a white paper for you, and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate. Because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. With us today, Luke Weber. How you doing, Luke? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Luke. He is actively flipping across the country with more than 40 active projects at this time. And he is the author of the book, The Flipping Blueprint, which is full of tips and tricks and formulas that he uses in his current business. He's a former appraiser, and he flipped his first house in 2003. He's done over 300 flips since then, based in Las Vegas. With that being said, Luke, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So as you said, I'm a former real estate appraiser. I got my license in 2001, and that was kind of the start of my real estate journey. Bought my first flip in 2003. It was actually my first house, and I flipped it, made over $80,000 profit on it, and that kind of set wow. the fire for me. <laughs> Every deal's been that profitable or more since then, right? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> you take some bumps and bruises along the way until you really figure this business out. Just like anyone else, I was investing in real estate. When the market crashed, I got hurt. Luckily, I ran a very successful real estate appraisal business that kept me going through there. But then 2010 rolled around and I saw that, hey, the market's prime. I got to get back into flipping and buying rentals and started doing about a flip every couple months. And by 2012, I was investing with a buddy of mine and I said, hey, let's turn this into a real business. And we hung up our appraiser licenses and started our flipping empire, <laughs> if you will. 
And we have been growing that business since. You started out focused in Las Vegas, right? In your background? Or yeah. So it's backyard. Just, yeah, it's a natural progression to flip where you are. It's easier. And when we really took a look at making it into a business in 2012, we said, okay, what else should we do? And one of the ideas was let's expand it into another market. We'd already flipped next door in Phoenix and, and some stuff in California, but we wanted to really expand. So we looked all the way over to Florida. And then 2013 and 2014, we did a bunch of flips out there. But then we brought it back home and said, you know what? We're making the same margins. It's more work. Let's double down on Vegas and spend our time, our monies, our energies here and get that perfected. And then we'll grow out again as we see fit. Okay. And what did you learn that second go around in Vegas that you've applied to your business? There are a lot of deals out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Investing remotely is cool. It's sexy. It's fun. But if you're not making bigger profits for the bigger risk and work involved in it, yep, not worth it. If you have a market that you're in that has over 100,000 people in it, you're going to have deals there. And you just have to keep networking and growing and make yourself be known as the go-to guy. So you're advocating that if you have over 100,000 people in your market, then you might as well just set up shop within your market and focus on that because you've got a home court advantage? That is exactly it. There's something to be said when that problem happens on the houses, because problems do happen when you're flipping houses. If you're remote, it just everything takes longer and costs you a heck of a lot more money. So if it's in your backyard, you can take care of it instantly. I read a bullet point that I have in your bio, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, because sometimes things that copy and paste it in here in my notes that aren't accurate. <laughs> so, uh, fact check me on this. It says actively flipping across the country with 40 plus active projects. So can you elaborate on that? Is that- yeah. So now that we've doubled down and tripled down in Vegas, we decided to expand back out. So although Vegas is my primary market and always will be, we have active projects in Reno, Phoenix, and Houston right now. Okay. What systems or recommendations do you have for fix and flippers to implement if they were to scale? They've reached their tipping point in the market that they're in. Now they want to scale out somewhere else. What would you tell them? You really got to do your research. One of the things that I do whenever I go into a new market, I go slow. For instance, we're expanding into Houston now. Whenever there's a natural disaster, there's need for houses to be redeveloped. And we've looked at it in the past with Oklahoma City, with the tornadoes and Katrina and in New Orleans and a few other places, fires in the West. But whenever we get into it, we want to go slow. It might look like it's a deal, but you really have to know your numbers. You want to know your inventory levels. You want to really know your contractors. I start slow because I don't want to expand to five, 10 flips going at a single time in a market, unless I know my contractors are good and can handle it. So we're closing our first one in Houston last week. We've got another one coming up in a couple weeks here. And we're going to try out a couple different contractors, make sure the numbers pencil out for real world, not just on paper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we'll expand with that. How did you meet your contractor? Do you have a general contractors overseeing it locally that you already have a relationship with? Yes, that's the way I like to do it. Right now, I've got 42 active projects going. 23 or so are under construction. 
So we're not subbing out the work ourselves. It just doesn't work. So we have general contractors, lead handymen, depending on the projects, that are the individuals that we go to. And we meet them any way we can. Networking, referrals, Craigslist ads, just driving around and seeing a dumpster and leaving a card saying, hey, I've got work if you want it. I was actually, when I was out in Houston, we already had a contractor out there. One of our prior contractors from Vegas moved out to Houston a few years ago. And that was an open opportunity for us, kind of a foot in the door into that market, if you will. But as I drove around the neighborhoods of there, any flooded community, there's signs in a third of the yards that are out there of a contractor that's working. So I took a lot of pictures and grabbed a lot of cards while I was out there. And I've got 20 plus contractors that I can get quotes from to figure out who my go-to guys are going to be. Now let's talk more local level because perhaps some best ever listeners who are fixing and flipping want to stay local. And I imagine most fix and flippers end up staying local versus scaling out. You're probably in the, my guess is the 5% of fix and flippers who scale out as far out as you're doing. So let's bring this back home a little bit for most of the best ever listeners who are doing fix and flipping. In your book, The Flipping Blueprint, has tips and tricks and formulas that you use in your current business. So what are some of those that you can share with fix and flippers who are focused on scaling their business locally? It's really a rinse and repeat, and you just have to keep going out and networking, finding, number one, you never stop looking for properties, you never stop looking for money, and you never stop looking for contractors, whether you're doing it remotely or just doing one or two deals a year. A lot of fix and flippers out there aren't full-time investors. They have a day job and they kind of do it on the side and try to do three or four flips a year. But you should always be looking, never stop. That's the number one thing. Go out to the meetings, talk to people, let people know what you are doing. And that's how you're going to build your overflowing inbox of deals that you just get to keep looking at until you find the one that's going to pencil out for you. Find more contractors that say, yeah, I'm happy to give you a quote on your properties. Never stop looking for contractors, money, or properties. What is the best way that you have found properties, money, and contractors? I'm sure each of those three are different. I'm guessing each of the three have a different way. So what's the number one way you found each of those three? For contractors, I really think driving around and finding, usually you'll have the big dumpsters. You look in the dumpster and you see there's some drywall, maybe a toilet, some cabinets, and some carpet in there, then a house is probably getting a full remodel. Talk to that contractor. You get to immediately see their work that they're doing. If the guys are sitting around smoking and drinking a beer, that's probably <laughs> not the contractor you want. Mm -hmm. But if it's a clean job site, the quality of the work looks good. Not necessarily the materials, because the investor picks the materials, but the quality of work should be done right. That's really what I think is the best way to find the contractor. Real world, you get to see what they're doing and you get to decide, do I want this person to potentially do deals for me? Is and there, they're out there. Is there a way to do some research on the internet ahead of time? That way you're not driving around hoping that you find some contractors on the job? You know, each city is different. A lot of your bigger projects where you have a general contractor doing maybe $50,000 plus worth of work is going to file a lien against the property, a contractor's lien. So that's one way to 
do an online search, but also if you see other properties that are being purchased. So if you have MLS access or your realtor is sending you deals and you see the property and you're like, man, that's got to be a full gut. That's got to be a flip, <laughs> right? It's not, yep. it's not something that's going to move into it. Just keep a list of those properties and then pick Saturday afternoon, go for a nice drive and go drive by 10, 15, 20 of those houses. And you might find contractors working at them a couple of weeks after they've closed. That's a great tip. Thank you for sharing. I haven't heard of that before. That's very valuable. What about money? Number one way you found money. So I'm not a golfer. <laughs> Me either. But I do like a tasty beverage every once in a while. Me too. <laughs> so I'll be out at a bar or a networking event. And it doesn't have to be real estate related. But it could be an entrepreneurial event. It could be just a city council event. Or there's events every day in every city across the country where you can go to them and you just talk to people and let them know what you're doing doctors and lawyers and therapists, whatever, high income earners that are busy six, seven days a week doing their day job, don't have the time to invest in real estate, but they're savvy enough to know to invest in their own real estate, but they're savvy enough to know that there's a lot of money to be made in real estate. You say, oh yeah, I invest in real estate. I have private investors. Their ears will perk up. Hey, I've got 300,000 sitting in an IRA that's doing nothing for me. What can you do with that? So you do research on where high net worth individuals will be drunk and then you go hit them up for money. Exactly. <laughs> Fish in a barrel. <laughs> and it's always a soft pitch. It's really the best way to do it. You just let them know what you're doing and then they're like, oh, well, I'd be interested in that. You say, oh, well, here's my information, but uh, next project I get, I'll, I'll, I'll send you something over and, and you can take a look at it. But you don't need to follow up with them six, seven, eight times. You want them chasing you. How do you get them to chase you? <laughs> There's a few different ways. Typically when I'm talking to somebody, I'll let them know that all my current projects are funded by my other investors. But when I have another opportunity, I'll put it out at them. Mm -hmm. But I also let them know that they're getting a first look at it. And I'll say, hey, you know, what? I'll give you a 24 hour first look at it. Otherwise, I'm going to put it to one of my other guys. That lights the fire to, oh man, I, I actually have to do this. It's time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way to get them calling you back and saying, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Or, hey, can I get a little more information on it? But what I love doing is I will put them maybe in a group email where if it's a new investor, and I don't think they're ready to pull the trigger yet. So I'll send out a group email and it might be just them and my investor that's going to fund this deal that I know is already lined up and ready to go. And then I'll send them an email the next day after my other guy is committed to it. And it's just a email that says, hey, thank you for everyone's responses. This deal has already been funded. Mm -hmm. Now they've missed out on an opportunity that somebody else jumped on. So it must have been a great opportunity. Yep. That way they're going to act faster. I actually will get phone calls or emails saying, hey, Luke, I didn't act fast enough. I want the next one. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got 200,000 ready to go. Send me your next one. Just a very tactical question. When you send out that initial email, is everyone else's email on that? Never. Uh, never. Okay. So it's BCC, right? Yeah. Blind carbon okay. copy, everything. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. And thank you for those. I'm, when I do my little summary at the end, I've written down some very insightful things that you've said. Properties. Number one way you're finding properties. Right now, I actually am getting most of my properties from wholesalers. I'm still buying one or two off the MLS a month, 
but wholesalers are my number one go-to avenue for properties. I decided to not spend my money in doing 50,000 mailers a month to do my lead generation. I do some targeted mailings and some targeted Facebook ads, things like that. But I go out and personally network. I hold quarterly events to have people come and I feed them and give them drinks again. (laughs) There's a consistent theme here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? If you're going to build a business for yourself, you might as well do it the way you like to do it and live your life. (laughs) Yep. And you're in Vegas too. So it kind of falls in line with the theme too, right? Yeah. So like our last three or four parties that we've thrown, we've actually had people from multiple states come to the event, people that sure. maybe know me from Facebook and they're like, oh, you're having a party. I'd love to meet you or I have you sign the book or whatever. I'm like, yeah, man, come on over. And I don't charge people $20 and then give them a sales pitch like right. a lot of meetups do. I create a networking event for everybody to be at. And if I get one deal out of these, I meet a new wholesaler who's going to bring me a deal. My last party cost me about $3,000. We had 50 people plus or minus there food, drinks. We did a raffle giveaway, but I've gotten multiple deals from it already. So at the tune of probably 60,000 plus in profit. Mm -hmm. So, And you had fun. Yeah. And it adds value to people too, because I'm, as you can tell already, I'm not really holding stuff back. I'm sharing a lot of information. Oh yeah. And in the book, I do it too. So if people have a question, I'd like to have an answer for them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've interviewed a lot of fix and flippers and I've had really good conversations with them. You've provided new stuff that I hadn't come across before on each of these three and a different way of looking at it. And regardless of if, hopefully I'm sure the best ever listeners have picked up on this, regardless of if we're fix and flippers or not, which I am not, I can still, and you best ever listeners can still pick up on some of these tips and apply them to our own business and the type of investing that we do. That's what I love about this. Yeah. A lot of these principles carry over for rentals. I've bought and sold rental portfolios. I've bought apartment buildings and a lot of different private investing and things, but the principles really hold true. Whether you're doing a rental or a flip, you should know what your inventory levels are and what your numbers come out to. Mm -hmm. And there's all different ways to find rentals or apartments, as you know, And a lot of it has to do with networking. (laughs) Yep. Completely great relationships. That's what it boils down to. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? You know, it really comes down to you have to know your market, both at a micro and macro scale, the big and small. Like, for instance, in Las Vegas, I know that I have 1.69 months of inventory right now of single family houses. I mainly deal in single family houses and I want to know if that number is going up or down because you have to know or you want to know what your power is. If you're renting out properties, you want to know what the inventory levels are for that too because can you ask for more rent? Can you get a higher demand? If there's more inventory, do you have to acquiesce to the seller or the renter demands? Who has the power? And then that's really stems from knowing the numbers. Mm -hmm. Is 1.69 good or bad? That's great. I love it. What's bad? Uh, Once you're over four months, I consider that bad. Four months of inventory. Three to four months, I'm going to be pretty cautious on that. I'm going to look for a higher profit margin. Under three months is good. Under two is great. With that 1.69 months that we have in Vegas, Uh 
really that's total single family from $50,000 house to a $20 million house. Mm -hmm. So when you look at affordable entry-level housing, which most flips end up being in Vegas, that's like sub 300,000, there's less than a half month of inventory. And that means that people don't have a lot to pick from. It is a seller's market. I get to command what happens on my deals. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Real Estate Innovators Podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at therealestateinnovators.com. What's the best ever book you've read? The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster is my go-to answer on these ones by Darren Hardy. I love that book. It's simple, it's easy, but it's lots of little quick tips, great little nuggets. Hmm. I will check that out. I hadn't heard of that one before. Heard of Darren Hardy, but not the book. What's the best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last? Ooh, I was going to say my first one. Everyone? Okay, so (laughs) 90% of people say their first deal for XYZ reasons or the deal that they just did because I think they say it that because they haven't actually seen all the nastiness that's going to come with it, that they're eventually going to come across. That's why I've, in 2018, when I remember, I'm excluding the first and last deal on this question. I like it. So the one that stands out for me is I did a ranch house here in Vegas. It was on about an acre. You think Vegas, the Western states, you think a lot of stucco tile properties, HOA communities stacked on top of each other. And that's what a lot of investors were going for. Instead, I just look at deals, whether it's a manufactured home or apartment building. If I can make money, I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. This one I bought for, we got to remember the numbers, is probably about three or four years ago now. I bought it for, I think it was 150000 mm-hmm. I put 40000 into it. So it was a pretty extensive remodel. And I sold it for, I think it was 320000 Wow. Nobody else was going after these properties. And I think it's not the best ever because of the fact that it made six figures because I've had multiples of those, but it's the best ever because it confirmed that I can make money on all different types of inventory. I'm not just saying I want a house built after 1990 that's stucco tile, three bed, two bath, and has a two car garage because I know that'll sell. Everything's going to sell if you get it at the right price. If you list it at the right price, but you have to buy it at the right price. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why I'm saying that's my answer for this one. <laughs> What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Back before the market crashed, I was investing then. I wasn't following the market close enough. I was paying attention as an appraiser. I was paying attention, but I really didn't know how to react to it. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things and something that I've definitely learned and hold true since I got back into investing in 2010 and, and here on out. Know your market and react to it. Are you taking your money from the flips and buying some long-term holds? (laughs) Yes and no. So 10, 11, 12, I bought a lot of rentals. Last year, 
we sold a lot of those because they weren't high quality rentals that you want for a long-term portfolio. So we cashed out of a lot of our rentals Mm -hmm. so that we could fuel our flips because right now the cap rates aren't anywhere near where we want them. So it's not something that sexy for us. Mm -hmm. If something does come up, we will definitely still look at it and buy it. But right now we're getting ready for whenever that next crash does happen or that next downtick does happen. We're pretty liquid on our flips. They go about 120 days total from when we buy it to when we sell it. So we can react fast, cash out, have a big chunk of cash so that we can get some of those large scale, 100 unit plus apartments or just high quality single family houses at dirt cheap prices when that crash does happen. (laughs) What's the best ever way you like to give back? So I've got two answers for this because the one is business related and that's i started doing this at my meetups where we used to just give out door prizes and i thought you know what there's some really good charities here in town that need help and we we went with one called safe nest that is a battered women and displaced children kind of place you know so it does have something to do with housing so it kind of fits for us because we actually see a lot of that there's definitely a human element to what we do And any money that we raise in the raffle at our events, we match it 100%. And that's an awesome thing to go. I don't talk a lot about this because I don't do it to say, hey, I did this. I do it to help. It's awesome to be able to just give them that check and say, here you go. Help people that need it. Yep. But my second answer to that is I coach my son's soccer team. And giving back to children some way, teaching them how to work as a team, and grow together, I think is great. And real estate investing allows me to do this where I see other dads that might make one game a season because they're too busy working. They're working their eight to seven job, uh, six days a week. And I'm happy that I can provide that weekly stability for some of these kids. And it's a pretty awesome feeling. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Luke? Facebook. I'm on Facebook for business. You don't see a lot of my family on there because I do it with purpose. And if you want to find me, find me on Facebook, Luke Weber. That's 1BN Weber. I I know you'll have all the links. Yep. And get into the Flipping Blueprint group page too. I'm happy to answer your questions there. Go get that book. I will put the link in the show notes page to the Facebook account. And Luke, thank you so much for being on the show. This truly was helpful for anyone in any type of real estate the tips that you have initially i asked about for fix and flippers which you gave is for fix and flippers but also for others it turns out number one ways to find contractors is go drive around find the job sites of contractors you can do some research beforehand so you're not just driving around aimlessly and then reach out to them assuming that your job site's clean and the quality of their work is good Money, number one way to find money is you get rich people drunk. So I'm kidding. I kind of, I'm kind of kidding. You go to networking events and you implement three things. One is scarcity, two is exclusivity, and three is fear of missing out. On one is scarcity, the all of my current projects are funded because they are at that point. Two is exclusivity, but I'll give you a first look at it so they feel special. Three is fear of missing out once it is booked up. Then you send the follow-up email, thanks for everyone's responses, it's booked, better luck next time, 
of course not in those words. And that is the fear of missing out. And then with the number one way you find properties is through wholesalers, through relationships, and you have fun. You enjoy yourself. You create these events where you invite people. I love how you went in to the cost of executing an event, about $3,000, food, drinks, raffle, etc. Giveaway to charities and the profits from that are more than 20 times. That's an incredible ROI. So thanks for being on the show. Really grateful you spent some time with us. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. The Real Estate Innovators Podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at therealestateinnovators.com.